Hey everyone, what's up and welcome to Front Run Crypto, where we predict the future of money and technology. Thank you to all of the new listeners, subscribers, and followers. Tremendous feedback and growth you've experienced in 2022 together. Thank you so much. If this is your first time with us, we are all here to front run the next generation of wealth creation that we believe to be cryptocurrency and decentralized finance. Yes, even in the middle of the bear market, even in all of the macro uncertainty, centralized lending uh, failures, Ponzi schemes that we keep talking about with FTX, Terra Luna, so on and so forth. We believe that crypto represents a generational wealth creation opportunity given that we're able to identify the winners and losers based on sound monetary policy, sound tokenomics, and tokens that, generally speaking, accrue value to its token holders, right? I'm your host, John Cook. It's the last week of December 2022. Happy belated Merry Christmas to everyone. We have an exciting podcast on YouTube for those watching on the YouTube today. Uh, if you are subscribed to our FrontRunCrypto.com newsletter, you'll see that we've recently launched a new format of information called Top 3 Topics of the Week. What I've found trying to find an efficient way in packaging up all of the information across the crypto space every week, it's incredibly difficult. Lots of moving pieces. And what serves me well is focusing on research, focusing on tutorials, and then making sure that we're able to call out some of the most impactful and trending themes and topics in the crypto ecosystem. This is why we've introduced the top three topics of the week. Every week, we're going to select what we believe to be the most, the top three most impactful and trending crypto themes across the crypto space, and then we'll write about it, right? This week, we're going to inaugurate this new type of reporting with a very spicy topic that I call Crypto VCs Filling to Deliver, right? The article is called No Winners in 2022. The top three topics are crypto VCs failing to deliver, Binance, Megafund, and Ethereum ban. This, these three topics are near and dear to my heart because it's a reflection of the broader failure to respect what we believe to be characteristics of sound investment decisions. And we're going to go through each topic individually. But before we do that, I want to call out a new page we've launched on farmcrypto.com called the crypto roadmap. We've been talking about we've been talking quite a bit actually about what we believe the future of crypto is. Is it money? Is it a store of value? Is it a commodity? What cryptos will win? What tokens will lose? It goes on and on and on. And I encourage everyone to at least take a quick cursory review at it. I'll include in the show notes for you. But our thesis, and I'm going to read some of it for all the uh, people listening at home, is crypto is a blue ocean of untapped opportunity, right? There's no hierarchies, no systems, no Web3 VCs with 30 years of crypto experience. If you do the work 12 months from now, you'll be the expert. This is for sure true, and it served me well in my life. 
Okay, There are some other points to call out with blockchain in that it represents a fundamental shift in how humans engage with money. Closed systems of of complex financial institutions have been replaced with decentralized permissionless technologies, social and legal contracts that previously were managed by regulators, attorneys, and legislative lawmakers are obsolete and place... And in its place, smart contracts enforce agreements by code as an efficient and transparent solution. And my personal favorite, opaque or bespoke financial instruments and market-making opportunities not available to the general public will be deployed on-chain for everyone's participation. This is our crypto thesis, but it's important to call out, and we make a point of this, that not all crypto is created equal. What we mean by that is the crypto assets that will win will be a result of its sound monetary policy and ability to return value to their token holders. This aligns to what we're going to talk about today. But if you think of all the tokens that have an inflationary supply schedule, all the tokens that are pre-mined, VC, alt-layer ones, they're all going to go to zero. Every single one will go to zero because they violate a fundamental principle in equity and token valuation is that tokens must have... And equities must have a sound monetary policy that accrues value to its token holders. We go on to talk about the evolution of money, and we've introduced this crypto roadmap. Everybody should check it out because it serves as the foundation for how we think about winners and losers that we're going to extrapolate now with our first topic, why crypto funds are failing in 2022. So the reason crypto funds are failing in 2022 is not necessarily because of crypto. What I've learned many years ago in my traditional finance journey is that the majority of actively managed funds, these could be VC funds, hedge funds, private wealth funds, they consistently fail to outperform the broader market. And I'm sure we've all heard stories, read books. My personal favorite that I think everybody should read is Burton Melke's Around a Walk Down Wall Street. He's a brilliant writer, and he coins this term random walk. Okay, And it's the idea that a blindfolded monkey randomly selecting stocks can outperform professional investors. Here's a quote from his book. On Wall Street, the term a random walk is an obscenity. It is an epithet coined by the academic world and hurled insultingly at professional soothsayers. Taken to its logical extreme, it means that a blindfolded monkey throwing darts at a newspaper's financial pages could select a portfolio that would do just as well as one carefully selected by the experts. Saying this in plain speak, the winners of yesterday are the losers of today. And you can see this extrapolate in many different ways. Uh, a lot of the robo-based retirement platforms like Fidelity Go, Betterment, they all embrace this theory, which is really a byproduct of modern monetary policy, that rather than investing in individual equities, it's much more efficient to invest in a broad basket of assets that represent the entire asset class of choice or perhaps the entire market via an S&P 500 index fund. The rationale behind that 
is investors who invest in actively managed funds, their fund managers consistently fail to outperform. Like it's statistically impossible. You see the proliferation of this with individuals like John Bogle. He created the index fund, which I think is now the number one retirement vehicle in America, used in majority of 401ks. I think uh, S&P 500. Um, I think SPY. SPY is the one day traders use a lot. I don't know what's in my 401k personally. It's like robo-trader managed by another advisor. But they're all index funds, right? And this is not an antidote. S&P Global publishes this report called a U.S. Persistence Scorecard. Everybody should read this, sign up for it, it's free. And I promise we're going to tie this back to crypto in a second, but it's important we make this connection. The S&P the Global U.S. Persistence Scorecard quantifies fund manager performance against their broader asset class to ascertain long-term performance. And what they've concluded is very clear. Actively managed outperformance is short-lived and few funds consistently outrank their benchmark. Their November 22 report concluded it was statistically impossible to find consistent outperformance. Here's the quote. Over a five-year horizon, it was statistically impossible to find consistent outperformance among all actively managed funds whose performance over the 12 months ending in June, June 2018 placed them in the top quartile with their respective category. Not one, not one in any of our reported equity categories remained at the top quartile in each of the four subsequent one-year periods ending in June 2022. Again, Yesterday's winners are today's losers. And they go on to provide more analysis of like the fund categories, domestic funds, large cap funds, mid cap funds, small cap funds, multi cap funds. It goes on and on. There's about a thousand actively managed funds in this comp in this uh, composition of categories. And what you can see is if we just look at all domestic funds, approximately 489 that were in the top quartile in June 2020, zero. Zero were in the top quartile for uh, June 2022. Can you believe that? And of the 978 domestic funds that were in the top half in June 2022, only 4% were in the top half by June 2022. So what we can conclude is that Actively managed funds, whether they're VC funds, hedge funds, fund managers, and publicly traded entities, have consistently failed to outperform the market. This is not my opinion. This is not me being a downer. This is the data, right? So tying it back to crypto, you might be thinking, okay, what does this have to do with crypto, right? This has to do with crypto in that token valuations and crypto economics don't operate in this alternate universe where free cash flow and value accrual to token holders don't apply. So there's two points there. Free cash flow and value accrual. Remember those two points. We're going to frame this against the pump and dump that we saw across the broader crypto ecosystem in 2021 
and then explain what those two points, free cash flow and value accrual to token holders mean. Okay, so remember in 2021, crypto prices, uh, it was it was the Wild West, right? We didn't want to dive into it, but it was for sure a big pump, right? Why did it happen? My thesis is that a government-induced stimulus combined with a global work-from-home order created an environment where consumers had money and nothing to do, right? I mean, we've all seen the headlines. U.S. government prints $5 trillion of new money, deploys it into into banks, airlines, citizens, mostly corporations, very little citizens. But the net-net was that consumers were working from home. They had nothing to do. They couldn't go on vacation. So what did they do? They bought crypto and meme stocks, right? So that's that's aspect one of the pump in 2021. Part two, what do they do with the money? What do they do with the money that they received from this government-induced stimulus? They invested it in crypto. Specifically, a lot of these meme and crypto retail traders jumped into Ponzi tokens offering 100% APY under this pretense, what we call yield farming and liquidity mining. I, I, I mean, I'm guilty as charged. I did this. It was it was an interesting time. But for those who did not, yield farming and liquidity mining is the act of staking tokens to earn yield in the form of worthless tokens, which are immediately dumped onto the open market. So imagine you go to like a... Um, you provide liquidity to like a liquidity pool. Uh, the liquidity pool, the liquidity pool pays like fifteen percent APY. But in addition to that, you get a kicker in that the liquidity pool also mints a token, and then they give you like a new token for mining as well. That could like boost the APY to like thirty percent because the liquidity pool token might have a valuation of like five dollars. The problem is that the liquidity pool token that's being pumped via the liquidity mining has no intrinsic value. And this is what we mean with respect to free cash flow and value accrual to token holders, right? What I've, what has served me well in my finance career is respecting this fundamental role, fundamental rule in the equity valuation framework that I've learned. It's the price of an equity is the sum of its free cash flow. In crypto land, the price of a token is the sum of its free cash flow. So what that means is that protocol tokens must burn more coin than is minted, right? Most of these protocol tokens, exchanges, they, they, they're pre-mined, honestly, with like 100 million tokens. I was looking at the tokenomics for the NEAR protocol. I think it's like an alt-layer one. Ethereum killer, that probably will never happen. It was pre-mined with 1 billion tokens on a fixed supply schedule. Why Why is that token worth anything? It's not. It's not, right? The protocol token must burn more coin than it mints in order for it to have any economic value. Failure to respect this rule is an inflationary hellscape every single time. And let's think through this a little bit, and we'll we'll prove very simply why that why this is true, right? The opponents of my position with respect to value accrual for tokens always say every single time we're still early in the crypto journey, we should focus on market share and not earning as revenue accrual. This is a flawed proposition in that 
these market share proponents fail to see the difference between a crypto token that is not profitable now, but will be profitable in the future versus a crypto token that is not profitable now and will never be profitable ever. Those are the tokens that will go to zero every single time. So let's look at example one. A crypto token that is not profitable now, but will be profitable in the future. This is an example of value accrual. Two very popular options are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Okay, so neither Bitcoin nor Ethereum is profitable today, right? Both protocols mint more than they burn. This is true now, but not forever. Let's look at Ethereum for an example. So how does the Ethereum protocol reward miners, right? There's... There's three ways revenue. There's here's how the the Ethereum protocol works, right? Uh, Ethereum's the Ethereum protocol is based on block space demand. That's it. That's the simplest explanation of it. The more the more demand there is for block space, the higher the block space costs. The less demand there is for block space the less the block space costs, right? And this is implemented via transaction fees that are paid by the transactors. So every time a block is minted in Ethereum, the protocol issues a block reward to that staker, right? It's fixed, and there's a lot of analysis on that we can include in the show notes. So the block reward is net new Ethereum that didn't exist before, right? This is an inflationary aspect of the Ethereum protocol that causes the aggregate Ethereum token count to go up, right? The protocol mints new blocks. Sorry, the protocol mints new Ethereum and rewards it to the miner who verified that block transaction, okay? That is offset by the transactor who has to pay a transaction fee. Part of that transaction fee goes to the miner. So they are paid on two dimensions. Number one, the block reward plus the tip. And number two, number one, the block, the block reward, number two, the tip. But the other component of the transaction fee paid by the transactor is called the base fee, and that is burned. That's deflationary, right? So you have this inflationary aspect of a block reward, which is a new Ethereum getting minted for the, via the protocol. And then you have existing Ethereum getting burned via the base fee that is paid by the transactor, right? So what you have is a scenario where blocks, where protocol demand increases as measured in block space. The block space becomes more competitive, which means the base fee paid by the transactors will increase above the reward issue to the stakers, right? So low demand, block reward is greater than base fee. High demand, base fee is greater than block reward. When base fee is higher than block reward, the protocol is deflationary. When base fee is lower than block reward, the protocol is inflationary. That's it. For those who want more information, you can Google EIP-1559. That outlines this in detail. But when the base fee is higher than the block reward, the the net result is a profitable blockchain, right? And this is already happening, 
but not consistently. You can go to like ultrasound.money and you can see moments where uh, Ethereum is deflationary as measured by base fee being the base fee burn being greater than the block reward, but it's not consistent. So what Ethereum maxes are saying is that as uh, protocol demand increases, it will necessitate more users to layer two platform, uh, the layer twos on Ethereum, right? Layer twos use Ethereum as the layer one settlement layer. That's going to increase the base fee. That's going to cause Ethereum to be deflationary. Whether you believe that to be true or not, that's not the point. The point is that the protocol has a deflationary burn mechanism engineered into the blockchain when base fees become higher than block rewards, right? That is an example of potentially sound money. Bitcoin is another example of this, right? There is no like burn protocol uh, in Bitcoin. It's the exact opposite. Bitcoin has a hard cap of 21 million BTC to be supplied over the life of the Bitcoin supply schedule, right? Bitcoin is mined every 10 minutes. The amount of Bitcoin mined is is on a fixed schedule. And the way it works is a mechanism of what Bitcoin calls a difficulty rating. So right now, Bitcoin blockchain mines 6.25 new Bitcoins every 10 minutes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the hash rate is. It, the hash rate could be a trillion. The hash rate could be one. It's going to mine 6.25 Bitcoins every 10 minutes, and then it's going to half to 3.1 something. Then that's going to half to 1.7. That's going to half. It's going to keep halving until all Bitcoins are mined in 2140. This is the difficulty rating in that when the demand for Bitcoin increases, Bitcoin's difficulty rating goes up. As demand for Bitcoin decreases, Bitcoin's difficulty rating goes down. This is like a throttle that operates in parallel such that there's a consistent deployment of Bitcoin every 10 minutes until all coins have been minted in 2140, right? So the counter argument to this from like ETH maxis is that Bitcoin will not be a usable platform in 2140 because transaction fees alone will not be an incentive enough to keep bitcoin miners on the platform i'm still i'm still out on that i need to think a little bit more i think bitcoin and ethereum can coexist together but the point we're making is that both bitcoin and ethereum have sound monetary systems engineered into the platform ethereum has a mint burn mechanism relative to the base fees plus what's rewarded to the miners and bitcoin has a controlled supply schedule of a fixed amount of bitcoin that gets mined every 10 minutes which is throttled by the difficulty rating that goes up and down dependent on the hash rate of the aggregate network right those are examples of sound money we're going to get back to the crypto VC in a second, but this is a big lead up to it. And it's why I believe most of these crypto exchanges are going to fail or these crypto VCs are going to fail. If Bitcoin and Ethereum are examples of sound tokenomics, then the losers of 2022's, 2022 are assets 
in the crypto space that have flawed tokenomics and an inflationary supply schedule. We all we should know them if we've been paying attention in 2022. Luna, FTT, Solana, Axis, Sand, Mana, Nair, CRO. I mean, there's that's just to name a few. These tokens are not profitable now, and they will never be profitable ever. I've included in the article a heat map created by CoinMetrics that outlines uh, crypto returns by asset class by month, right? And every crypto return, every crypto asset failed to... Every crypto asset lost investor money this year. Let's get that out of the way right now, right? Bitcoin lost 64%. Ethereum lost 66-68%. What that means is if you bought a dollar in Bitcoin January 1st, today you'd have like 36 cents. If you bought a dollar of Ethereum in... In January 1st, 2022, you'd have like 32 cents, right, of it today. But if you look at the bottom, the bottom like quartile, Luna, FTT, Solana, Axis, Near Saturn, they're all dogs that have lost anywhere between 90% and 100%. You put a dollar in January, you'd have zero, you'd have zero cents today or 10 cents today, right? Let's go through the bottom five or six to make a point. All right, Terra Luna. 100% loss. All the money you put in is gone, right? So what happened? Remember, Terra Luna was a synthetic algorith- algorithmic stablecoin backed by imaginary money. Terra was anchored to a dollar via an algorithm that burned Luna tokens to create new Terra tokens. It was a complete Ponzi. A percentage of Luna is removed from the circulation and the remainder was deposited into Luna, uh, the Luna Foundation's treasury. Their idea behind this was that burning Luna tokens makes them more valuable to the decreasing supply, but this is counterbalanced with the new creation of Terra, which stabilizes the overall balance at a dollar, right? Conversely, if the demand is low for Terra, Terra holders can exchange it for Luna, allowing them access to the... Uh, Allowing them access to the to bank a risk-free profit while maintaining the price peg, right? And l- let's pause there because it's insanity. The value of one Terra dollar is enforced by an algorithm that mints and burns a worthless token called Luna, which is used as a peg. Luna has no economic value. Terra is a synthetic dollar that's algorith- algorithmically pegged to Luna. What happened? Everything went to zero, right? This is an example of a tokenomic supply schedule and blockchain that had a flawed monetary policy. Next, FTT and all the exchange tokens. FTT down 97% year-to-date. CRO down 90% today. I think BNB is going to be the big chain, the next domino to fall in 2023. But the point we're emphasizing here is that all of these tokens, FTT, CRO... BNB, these are utility tokens with zero economic value accruing to its token holders. What that means is that none of the revenue that these exchanges make actually accrue to the token holder. What these tokens are used for is discounts on trades and collateral for... other trades i mean that's there's no other way to describe it right and this is what binance is doing right now 
you can use BNB as collateral to long short another equity token. And that's how BNB is trying to justify the value of the BNB coin. FTT is the same thing. FTT was used as a proxy to realize discounts on the FTX exchange. And it was used as a collateralization token for other trades. But no revenue from the token actually accrued to the token holder. We wrote we wrote an article on this uh, early in the year called The Serious Flaws of FTT. Everybody should read it. But the TLDR is that centralized ownership, no value accruing to the token holders, low volume, completely pre-mined. And the net result is a pump and dump that we witnessed over the uh, over the past year. And I have a chart pulled up for all the people listening, uh, watching. There was a pump maybe in mm, July. It started dump July of 2021. started dumping in uh, November of 2021. And then there was the rug pull in November 2022. This is going to happen for every exchange token, I promise you, right? The other big losers of 2022 were Mana and Sand. These are social platforms that promise society a new metaverse. I mean, I tried playing it. I tried really hard to get into it. I'm a big fan of the metaverse, but like it sucked, right? This, for those who aren't familiar, the metaverse is a collection of digital worlds where humans can escape the monotony of real life in something similar to like a Ready Player One type setting. The problem, again, terrible graphics. Mana and Sand were propped up by VC money and not organic community engagement. This is the problem with all of these VC-led alt-layer ones and Ethereum killers and Web3 social platforms, pay-to-play platforms. There's no community engagement. Both Mana and Sand had less than 1,000 active daily users at its peak 1,000 active daily users at its peak. And as of this public, as of this podcast, I checked the Decentraland stats. Uh, Decentraland uses the mana coin as their crypto token for transacting in their metaverse. Decentraland had an $11 billion valuation in November 21. $11 billion valuation in November 21. You know how many people are using Decentraland right now? 391. There are 391 people on Decentraland, and it has an $11 billion valuation. This isn't like Diablo 2. This isn't World of Warcraft, Starcraft, any of those killer games. It's it's like a worse version of The Sims or Roblox. Completely terrible user experience, right? We could continue to do this analysis for every token in the bottom 25 of the year, and it's the same story. Inflationary token supply schedule, flawed tokenomics, pre-mined VC preference, this is a killer, and low user adoption. We've went through all of these points and belabored them to death because it's the tier one crypto funds that are keeping these terrible products on life support. They need to stop. They need to stop. And back to the starting point and topic of this podcast no winners in 2022, every single tier one crypto fund has underperformed the crypto asset class as a result of their poor investment choices. 
if you just bought and hold Bitcoin and or Ethereum, you'd be down like 60, 65% year to date. But if you look at these leaders in the crypto VC space, I actually posted a tweet on this. It's kind of funny. This is from CryptoRank.io. Multicoin Capital down 87%. Blockchain Capital down 84%. Coinbase Ventures down 87%. Delphi Digital down 93%. Anderson Horowitz A16 down 76%. Pantera Capital down 81%. If I were an LP, I'd be pissed right now. This is the problem that we were talking about that we spent so much time belaboring at the start of this podcast. Actively managed funds consistently fail to outperform the broad basket asset in the long run. So yes, of course, of course, in 2020 and 2021, these funds outperformed the broader crypto industry, they outperformed Bitcoin, they outperformed Ethereum. But crypto VCs funds are illiquid. You can't exit your position in a crypto VC fund like you could in an ETF. Now, as of this podcast, Delphi Digital is down 90% year to date. It doesn't make sense for these crypto funds to consistently prop up failed and terrible crypto products. It's a net detraction from the broader crypto ecosystem. I think the path to prosperity is investing in platforms and solutions that offer organic developer growth that are community-driven and not propped up by VC money like Mana, like Sandbox, like Aptos, like Nier, like Sway, like all of these other Alt layer one Ethereum killers, they're all dogs that are going to go to zero 100% of the time. There are LPs like Multichain, Sequoia, Coinbase Venture LPs are paying a 2% management fee to fund this persistent underperformance. They should be pissed, right? But all these VCs are doing is offering a worthless apology under the pretense of we're in the business of taking risks. There's categorically reject this point of view. In the business of taking risk means doing due diligence and and making investments that sometimes pay off. Investing in tokens that have that have fundamentally flawed tokenomics, where token value where the value of the exchange fees don't accrue to the token holders, where the tokens are pre mined, it's a Ponzi, and the VCs should be held accountable for that. They're funding the insanity. What I'm describing with actively managed funds in the equity space and their inability to outperform their asset class, these are the same investment failures that permeate across the crypto ecosystems. Crypto VCs are not gods and we should crypto VCs are not gods we should idolize and look to for knowledge and wisdom. They are beholden to the same greed and hubris as their traditional finance counterparts. In closing with this topic, my advice that has served me well through my entire investment career. And this is my framework. It's super simple for picking more winners than losers, even though I pick losers sometimes for sure, is to look at crypto tokens with sound supply schedules that return value to its token holders. If you want some non-crypto books to read, I think everybody should read uh, Random Walk Down Wall Street. Let me look at my bookshelf. See if I can pick out any. Another really popular one is One Up Wall Street. I think people should read the Little Red Book that uh, outperforms the stock market. 
any of uh, John Bogle's books. You should check out any of those. Pick any one of those and start. There's a really good white paper that came out, I think, in 2014 or 2015. Let me see if I can find it on my Notion really quick. Uh, it was written for millennials, but I actually think it's applicable to everyone, regardless of age. It's called If You Can. It outlines a thesis for long-term wealth creation, similar to what I've described. I'll put that in the show notes too. But read those articles and books, apply that same framework to the crypto space, and you will be met with wealth. If you continue to chase these pump and dumps, these Ponzi tokens, you're going to get burned every single time. And that is what happened to the crypto VC market in 2022, and that is why they have failed to deliver, and that is why there are no winners this year. Moving on to our next topic under the theme of there are no winners in 2022 is the Binance mega FUD, right? We wrote an article recently that outlined uh, the exchange outflows of Binance. I think they're losing something like $300 million uh, a week. In the aggregate, it ended up being like $5 billion. It was generally a bad look. I think Binance was able to cover the withdrawals, at least in the short term. But the mega FUD of Binance was was only made worse by the poor PR skills of their CEO, ZZ. I, you guys got to listen to this uh, his interview on uh, Fast Money on CNBC. They asked him point blank if his exchange could handle a $2 billion withdrawal right now, and his response was, we'll let the attorneys handle that. I mean, come on, dude, you're killing me. You're killing me with this kind of responses right so the exchange outflows the ftx fear the poor pr skills of uh the binance ceo zz have in the aggregate triggered an onslaught of fud fear uncertainty and doubt across the binance smart chain ecosystem uh, and you can see i pulled up a chart that outlines the bitcoin balance of on exchanges as a percentage of shares uh, i think binance Binance was, I think, in the aggregate something around 40%, and now it went down to 20%. But like this is a little misleading, and I have to be honest with you, in that Binance still has about $50 billion of Bitcoin on, on their exchange. So although these percentages are big in terms of like in terms of absolute value, the Binance exchange is still the number one source of uh on-chain. Bitcoin activity, but the FUD that we've described with respect to like the $300 million of Bitcoin being withdrawn every week from the exchange, the CEO's failure to like deliver a compelling like um, words of wisdom to the broader finance market, it morphed to like a series of insolvency rumors, which began to trend on Twitter, where Binance actually halted temporarily withdrawals of various alt-layer ones and stable coins, including USDC. Right? The 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 rationale that was given was Binance is that they're upgrading their Ethereum wallet. That was part one. The other angle was uh Binance has a counterparty for their Binance USD, uh which is based in the States. And essentially what happens is if you deposit USDC or any type of stable coin into Binance, 
the back end automatically converts that to BUSD. So now you have uh, the Binance denominated stablecoin. Sorry, the Binance's US dollar denominated stablecoin in the Binance exchange. Now, if you want to convert that back to US dollars on the back end, Binance has to uh, run a trade to convert the BSD, BUSD back to USDC and then convert that USDC to US dollar, right? They have like a banking institution in New York City that does that, but it only operates on like traditional banking hours. So the TLDR is that they can't like process these. Uh, U.S. dollar withdrawals in real time. It's wild, and it's catching a lot of scrutiny. Uh, CZ tried to explain his way around it, but they need to find a, a better like mechanism to manage that. I personally wouldn't put any funds on Binance right now, given all this FUD. But even if you just overlay like the with the withdrawing uh, the the inability to withdraw to withdraw USDC in real time, the FUD from the Binance CEO, the exchange outflows, like another dimension and layer of complexity with the Binance FUD is uh, their auditor Mazars, who was previously the auditor responsible for attesting to their proof of reserves related to over collateralization of Bitcoin, withdrew their audit. And to quote uh, the Mazar um, announcement, Mazar has indicated they will temporarily pause their work with all of their crypto clients globally, including Crypto.com, KuCoin, and Binance. Unfortunately, this means that we will not be able to work with the Mazars for the moment, a Binance spokesperson says. Mazars added that its proof-of-reserve reports do not constitute either an assurance or an audit opinion on the subject matter. Instead, they report a limited finding based on the agreed procedures performed on the subject matter at a historical point in time. What this is saying is that Mazars isn't even auditing like the uh, Mazars isn't even auditing the total reserve balance of Binance. What's happening is Binance gives Mazars a set of wallet addresses. Mazars goes through their internal auditing procedure to confirm that the balance on those wallet addresses it's true and justified. And that Binance is indeed the owner of those wallets. But that's it. There's no counter attestation to verify one-to-one parity with Binance uh, liabilities. It doesn't include or it doesn't include the entire spectrum of crypto tokens that exist on the Binance ecosystem. It's a set of wallets and a subset of crypto tokens not matched against cust- not matched against Binance's liabilities. It's a worthless attestation, to be honest with you, but it's doubly bad given that Mazars now withdrew that worthless attestation. You think it's bad with Binance? It continues. And this is all in the past week. We've we've elaborated to death that Binance has super questionable tokenomics. I mean, there's no way in hell that the BNB token's worth $250. Just uh, full stop, point blank. But there was an analysis published by Crypto Hippo on Twitter that concluded that only 18% of the BNB token is in circulating supply of, nine, of non-Binance-owned wallets, right? Here's the data. There's about 159 million BNB tokens in circulating supply. Binance controls around 109 to 131 million on their 
uh, in like a Binance or Binance subsidiary wallet. And then the customer funds represents approximately 16 million BNB on ETH and 6.5 million BNB on the Binance Smart Chain. Only 18% of the entire supply of BNB appears to be owned and available across all three chains, right? So remember, Binance is a, is like a chain of chains. I think uh, the governance chain that the BNB token uses is based on Cosmos, but the Binance smart chain is based on Ethereum. Let's see if I can look this up really, Bin Binance chain. I want to make sure I'm quoting this correctly. Binance Chain BNB. I'll put it in the show notes for everyone for everyone to read. But Binance is the composition of chains. Uh, the BNB chain is actually a separate chain. The BNB chain is actually a composition of two chains. One chain controls the uh, BNB token that's used for governance, and the other chain is used for like transactions, right? But net net. In the aggregate, only one, only uh, 16.5, maybe 20 million BNB tokens are in the possession of non-BNB wallets. That's wild. Reading between the lines, it appears that the BNB token is the collateral for the entire crypto derivatives industry, or at least most of it. Binance controls this market, and by owning about 50% of the entire float, they're able to subsidize financing costs against it as collateral. This is what we were talking about earlier, the BNB token being used as collateral for other investments. No revenue fees accrue to the BNB token. Let's say this again. No revenue fees accrue to the BNB token. The BNB token is derived exclusively the value of the BNB token is derived exclusively from retail trader demand as a byproduct of the ability to provide discounts on trading fees and it being used as collateral for derivatives. That's it. And again, Binance controls the fl the majority of the float and volume on the BNB token. About 18% exists in non-Binance-owned wallets, all right? So let's add this all up. Binance controls the majority of an illiquid token with no revenue accrual. Binance's auditors remove their very limited proof of reserve attestation. Binance is temporarily withdrawing, halting withdrawals of USDC. Binance is seeing record outflows of crypto from their exchange, about $30 million a week, week over week. It doesn't look good. And it all leads into this recent acquisition of Binance acquiring Voyager's assets for about a billion dollars. Remember, Voyager was one of the centralized exchanges that went under as part of the 3HC fallout this summer. I don't know the Voyager assets liabilities in enough deal detail to make a determination on this, but we did do an analysis of FTX's acquisition of BlockFi, how it was collateralized by FTT tokens. Do you remember what happened? FTX went to bankruptcy, BlockFi is in bankruptcy, but now BlockFi is suing FTX and is actually listed as a creditor 
in the FTX bankruptcy proceedings. I'm worried for Voyager if Binance Binance structured this acquisition in the same framework. An acquisition of Voyager using BNB tokens as its collateral. If BNB goes under, there could be a scenario where Voyager is now a creditor to Binance. Proceed with caution on Binance. I'm personally short into 2023. I'll post the details on the trade for that in coming weeks, but proceed with caution. Binance mega fund, I think some of it is real. And last but not least, topic number three is Paxil bans Ethereum. I almost thought about not including this, but I didn't want to talk about FTX anymore. So what piqued my interest on this is the rationale for Paxful banning Ethereum. Okay, let's dive into it. So for those who don't know, Paxful is a peer-to-peer lending platform that recently uh, removed Ethereum as a trading asset. Okay, you can go to Paxful.com, trade Ethereum for Bitcoin, Bitcoin for Ethereum, and some other tokens. Their rationale is that they place integrity above profits. All right, get out of here. In a leaked note, their CEO compared Ethereum as a proxy for apartheid a proxy for apartheid, and his role is to protect users. I mean, I don't even want to read the damn email. It's leaked. It's in the show notes if you want to check it out. But the TLDR is that revenue is nice, integrity trumps all. Integrity trumps all. Uh, The biggest problem in the world is economic apartheid. It is the root of all humanity's pains. I want to see a world where Bitcoin frees billions of people held back by this evil system. And then it goes on to elaborate why Ethereum is uh, a vector of economic apartheid. And his three reasons are as follows. Ethereum's proof of stake is flawed. Ethereum is not centralized. And Ethereum's ERC-20 derivative tokens are a floodgate for scams and rug pulls. Okay, let's dive into each point in greater detail, right? He didn't exactly elaborate on why proof of stake is flawed, but Here's here's the most common punchline that I see over and over. Okay, there's two reasons why people think Ethereum's proof of stake is flawed. Number one, it the wealth gap created by stakers, the wealth gap created by stakers. Remember, only a small subset of Ethereum community members can afford to pay the 32 ETH required to uh, be a staker. Right, this group profits from transaction fees and gets richer at the expense of the retail community. This is not really true anymore. In that you can. Uh, participate in staking via liquid staking derivatives like Rocket, Lido, many others. So I don't really buy that. But point number two is his comparison to ETH as a form of fiat. I think he's probably trying to draw parallels to the dynamic supply demand schedule of minted Ethereum, which runs counter to Bitcoin's hard money philosophy. Right, for those who paying attention earlier, crypto is on a fixed supply schedule, therefore has a scarce a scarce supply of money, right? 21 million Bitcoin. That's that will all that will exist forever. Compare that to Ethereum, where supply and demand is a proxy of uh of Ethereum that gets created via stakers versus Ethereum that gets burned via the base fee. Right. So let's dive into that. 
the centralization risk of Ethereum is super questionable given at best the four largest Bitcoin mining pools generate over 50% of the network's hash, right? So if Ethereum is centralized, so is Bitcoin. I mean, there's no way around it. Ant pool controls 30%. Foundry generates 9% of the network hash. F2 pool is 16%. Binance pool 10% of the network hash, right? So we have these two reasons so far. Uh, proof of stake is flawed. Ethereum is centralized. And then is third point, the proliferation of rug pulls. Okay, the proliferation of rug pulls is reasonable. But it, we should address it, but not by banning Ethereum, right? Rug pulls are an ecosystem-wide issue. In fact, Solidus recently published a 2022 year-end rug pull report. Everybody should read it. And they outlined three points. Number one, 8% of all Ethereum tokens are programmed to automatically execute a rug pull. Uh, this is smart contract risk. 12% of all Binance tokens are scams. 15 new token scams are created every hour, right? And if you roll it all up... There are over 117,000 token scams in 2022. That's an increase of 41% from the previous year. With the most common being honeypots, where the smart contract has code that not that does not allow buyers to resell their tokens. Ouch. <clears throat> Token derivatives of sound crypto assets like Ethereum, which are the base for these rug pulls are really a symptom of a problem. It's an uneducated, uninformed retail community that lacks the knowledge or education to differentiate a sound investment from a pump and dump. Banning Ethereum is not going to solve this problem. Why don't we just ban the US dollar because Ponzi scams are executed in fiat currency or ban cars because people drive drunk? What if we ban all physical items with the potential to inflict harm to other individuals? It's crazy. The hell with it. We should also ban investment opportunities where investors are exposed to downside risks, right? I find it incredibly hypocritical that Bitcoin maxis like Paxful are like embracing philosophies of self-sovereignty and financial independence and then go to ban Ethereum, right? That's something we'd expect from a tyrannical dictator, not a group of freedom-loving libertarians, right? So this whole angle of Paxful banning Ethereum on the basis of proof of stake, being flawed, centralization risk vectors, ERC-20 derivative tokens. Yeah, they're all valid, but like proof of stake being flawed. I mean, I mean, come on, like we can seriously make the same argument that Bitcoin is flawed because the same reasons proof of stake is flawed, it's the same reason Bitcoin is flawed. Centralization risk, right? It doesn't make any sense and uh, we'll leave it there. So, those are the top three articles of the week, folks. Uh, I, I conclude this by asking everyone to check out the article that we've used as the base for this discussion. At the bottom of the article on farmcrypto.com, you'll see some other interesting content we published throughout the week if you didn't get a chance to review it. This includes our front row crypto roadmap. We published an article on how to take custody of your Ethereum, which knows is safe, what it means to take custody of your crypto. And there's also a bunch of killer year-end reports that we should all look at. The Block published a digital asset outlook for 2023. Coinbase published a decentralized social media guide. Bizarre's crypto thesis for the next year. Pantera's December 2022 newsletter. 
It goes on and on. Until then, check it out. Go to farmcrypto.com. Uh, please subscribe, provide feedback. I'm also on Twitter space at FrontRunJohn. Again, thank you for reading. I'm your host, John Cook. We are all on a journey to front run the next generation of what we believe is crypto wealth creation, decentralized finance. Hit the subscribe button, share with your friends, subscribe to the newsletter for uncrypto.com. And remember, don't invest more than you're willing to lose because crypto is super risky and always do your own research. Until next time, happy new year, guys, gals. Talk to y'all soon. Peace.